Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I will be your host today. As well, joining us is James Fox, senior editor and writer over at Future Sox. Josh Norris from Baseball America, senior editor at Baseball America, jumping on the podcast to talk White Sox minor league baseball. Josh, it's so good to hear from you. You know, we were talking a little bit before we got started, and uh, we just kind of commended you on the work that your team did over at Baseball America throughout the, the draft process. And I know a lot of them are already back to work doing some scouting on their own and, and preparing for 2021. But it's a pleasure to have you on, sir, and we're looking forward to talking White Sox baseball. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you guys thinking of me and thinking of Baseball America in a time where there's not a whole lot of baseball right now in America. How about that? Uh, hopefully, though, it's uh, you know coming up here soon. We're, we're monitoring the situation on June 23rd. It's crazy that we actually have to say that out loud since this process really started once uh, the pandemic hit and, and shut everything down back in mid-March. But, uh, you know, we're, we're moving along here. And a thing that we were obviously focusing on at Future Sox, one of the things that was set in stone was the Major League Baseball draft. And the White Sox picked up a couple of arms that, you know, you were pretty high on. There was a quick post that you were able to throw together, you know, noting that both Crochet and, and Kelly have the best fastball category and the best tools, you know, in, in among the prospects in that draft. And, you know, you described it, uh, dubbing it as the Chicago fire. Could you just expound upon that? And how do you believe the White Sox did in terms of their strategy attacking this unique five round draft? I think they did really well. It's not, I don't think they broke any, any ground as far as attacking. It. I mean, they, they took, a couple guys at the top who they really liked, and then some guys maybe at the bottom uh, in the last three picks or so with uh, with upside. But the two at the top to get, you know, tw- uh, two of our top fifteen draft prospects through two rounds, that's pretty outstanding. And like you said, th- you know, um, Crochet had the best fastball in the college class, and Kelly had the best fastball in the high school class, as voted before the season by. Uh, scouting directors who spoke spoke with us um you know i've only seen them a little bit um usually when you know they're doing their showcase thing i'm working on pro ball um but you know i I get to watch a lot of the video um and crochet really stuck out i mean the the chris sale comparisons are obvious and plentiful at this point and not unwarranted i I talked with uh, a pro scout before the draft who you know was only watching video too because he doesn't do minor league stuff or uh college stuff and even he was like yeah this is this is baby chris sale from my look yeah that makes a lot of sense it's it's that kind of low slot it's that kind of fastball it's a wipeout breaking pitch um he or uh yeah i think it's wipeout breaking pitch it's a wipeout secondary um so there's a lot to like there obviously there are red flags with command and track record and things like that um but the upside is tremendous and same idea with with Jared Kelly. I mean, he throws real hard and is a big boy, and you know has the the, the nasty changeup to go with his uh, you know developing breaking ball. And I don't think it's out of line to kind of think about Michael Kopech when you look at a guy like that. Similar build, similar fastball. The de- the difference um, just kind of on paper is that. Kopech had the slider and Kelly has the changeup and need to work and they need to work on, you know, the other respectively. So if you got pictures of that, I don't want to say caliber just yet, but you know, that family in the, with your first two picks in this draft and you sign them both. Well, you know, that's, that's a haul. 
and you know I, we're talking about midseason top 30s right now over email and slack and all that good stuff and you know i'm uh, i can't tell you where they're gonna rank but uh they'll be in the top 10 I'll tell you that um there it, it gives the white Sox system an instant boost yeah, you know what? Uh, that Michael Kopech mention is really interesting and exciting, quite frankly, when you, when you talk about the comps there in terms of what he can become thanks to his stuff, right? That's that's where the focus is. His build, we're a huge fan of, especially at 18 years old. But when you talk about, we're, we're going to get to the White Sox top 30 list that Baseball America put out uh, here in a bit, but you just mentioned the rankings, and I won't ask you specifically where you believe Crochet and Kelly rank. I know you said top 10, but who would you rank above the other? Could you give us a little preview there? And what is your reasoning behind it? I mean, I'm probably largely going to, and don't hold me to this. This isn't a contractor thing. I would probably try to stick as much to our 500 as possible. That's just a general philosophy. And if you've been on any like Slack calls or Zoom calls with me lately discussing various top 100 things and top 30 things, that's a general philosophy of mine too. I understand this season was blunted by coronavirus and nobody had to, uh, nobody got to go up, down, you know, or prove themselves or cast doubts upon themselves during their high school, college seasons. Um, but we have Kelly at 12 and Crochet at 15. So I wouldn't be surprised if I, A, ranked them back to back at somewhere in their 10 and B, in that order. Um, it, it's It might be a 1A, 1B type situation because I love them both. I mean, like I said, personally, Garrett, watching Garrett Crochet on video is, it's really tantalizing. I, you know, another, another comp that I think I've seen out there is kind of like Josh Hader, if he's in the bullpen. Either way, you're getting yourself a fire-breathing monster. Uh, either he goes one or two innings or six or seven. Um, so these guys are kind of loaded with potential. And I, I guess I can't, I can't say enough about what a potential coup this is. Uh, with the first two picks of their draft. Yeah, we are kind of thinking the same thing as far as their ranking. I mean, at Future Sox right away, we kind of debated, like, oh, where would these guys go Like, if we do our midseason top 30? And everybody in our group pretty much has them five and six, and they have them mixed around just kind of based on preference and where we thought. Like, I, I would have been completely fine if the White Sox took Jared Kelly with the 11th overall pick. So, you know, if I put I, – I would probably put Kelly ahead of Crochet, but I understand somebody not – doing so um baseball america reported the idea of an extended um arizona fall league season potentially where every team could kind of have an affiliate of players obviously barring you know COVID 19 here and some of the health and safety protocols how realistic do you think something like this um would be later this year just as far as like with like as far as like the idea is concerned i think it's a very realistic idea and you know it's funny because jj cooper my boss kind of I swear he dreamed it up one day and called me and talked to me about it and I said JJ you're describing essentially what is my dream uh if you know me at all you love the I love the Arizona Fall League more than any any other aspect of minor league baseball um but the idea of having it in Florida and Arizona and with just one group of players to or a group of uh, one systems group of players to focus on makes it even more amazing. If you're going to tell me that this entire league is just nothing but what each team uh, deems its highest prospects, and there's other scenarios too where it's um, you know double A, triple A team and high A, low A team, and maybe the younger guys than that play on the backfields. Because I, you know, I, I wouldn't want 
a guy like uh, Benjamin Bailey uh, facing, uh, well, he's probably in the big leagues, but let's just say Michael Kopech. Um, I think that would kind of stunt his development uh, if that were to happen. And that would be the case if you just had like one massive fall league. But there are the idea of, you know, upper level and lower squat, lower level squats has been kicked around because those guys all need um, innings and at bats and all that good stuff. Um, and one other aspect of it is essentially it could begin as soon as spring training 2.0 is over because you'd be able, you'd have those guys, you'd have them ready. And then all they'd have to do is, you know, go back to their sites. However, one, we, we did mention COVID and we would be remiss to kind of gloss over the fact that spring training sites have been the sites of outbreaks in the last couple of days and Arizona and Florida, their uh, cases have been on the rise. So that might throw a bit of a monkey wrench into the scenario. And, you know, that's, that's happened since I wrote my article, but that's one way they're looking at, you know, not making this a totally lost season for everyone, but coronavirus is uh it doesn't care about baseball it doesn't care about uh whether whoever prospect develops doesn't care a whole lot about about anything except uh getting into lungs and causing havoc so it's it's a good idea that i think could come to fruition but the way this virus is trending scares me frankly yeah, I think the concept, obviously, like you said, is awesome. Like if every, you know, if every team just had like an affiliate of like all their best prospects playing each other, like that would be, you know, one of the coolest things of all time. <laughs> Frankly, I would, I would pound the table hard for them to try to keep that format, period. Yeah. It, it I think seems... one of the reasons people don't go to fall league games, A, because it's usually a thousand degrees, uh, especially if you're a White Sox person and you're playing at Camelback Ranch. Um but one of the reasons people don't necessarily go is because, you know, each team has, you know, six different orgs with them, or five different orgs with them. And if you're, you know, if you're only going to get guaranteed to see so many of your team's prospects, then what are you doing? And there's obviously days where you'll go to a, uh, an AFL game and it'll be solely one org's pitchers out of the pen. It'll be, you know, White Sox starter than three White Sox relievers. And if you're, I don't know, let's say a Reds fan uh, who's, coming to see the Reds play or Reds prospects play and you see none of them and you don't know when you're going to see any of them outside of maybe the starter, then what am I doing sitting in the sun for a hundred at a hundred degrees for three hours? So if you did it, if you could do it with, it was just Reds prospects versus Indians prospects, let's say, make it a good year games. Um, then you're, you're rooting for your team again and you give casual fans, Hey, look, my team's prospects whipped your team's prospects but in the afl or the ffl i think you'd you'd up interest by a whole lot if you did that uh universally going forth but i also do understand that uh in a typical season most guys have spent their at bats their innings etc and you're not going to have as many guys available to do this with whereas this year everybody's pretty fresh i think we had like a week of minor league spring training before uh the shutdown happened Josh, you seem to be a fan of the runner starting on second base that they've used in the minor leagues. Seems like it. They might do it in MLB this year. Do you think that makes some sense in a season like this? Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't bother me. Like, I'm I'm not a traditionalist in any sense of the word. Uh, I mean, a lot of people eat up the World Baseball Classic, and it's it's there. Uh, it's in the minor leagues. But I'm also I also readily admit 
I'm coming at it from a standpoint where I am, it's hard for me to get back into the standpoint of just a fan. You know, I haven't been a quote unquote fan of any team for a long time. And I haven't, you know, been able to watch the game from a, you know, un without a vested interest in a very long time. So what that means for me, if, if I'm at a game, uh, which I probably won't be until April, um, if I'm at a game and it's an extra innings and, you know, I, I don't have any vested interest in how the game turns out, win or lose, then I'm just, you know, I, go ahead and move it. If we, if we wanted to roll innings, we could do that too, but that would probably be a problem as well. Um, so it, it, it expedites a process. Or it, it expedites the game a little bit, gets you home before fireworks start, gets you home at a reasonable hour so you can start doing whatever other work you have to do. But I totally get fans who might not like it um just because it it's not a something they're not uh particularly used to b i think baseball fans are the most resistant to change of the four major sports um but it does it it would be a shock to the system for a lot of teams to just see you know a runner on second base and bam you could you could in theory uh lose a game without a hit or, uh, frankly, without a ball in play, if your pitcher gets really sloppy with uh, uh, some pickoff throws, I know there have been some nuts uh, endings to games that way too. You know, there's there's um, a two pitch inning I know happened in Hillsboro where you line into a double play and then you pop up or something. Um, I know there's like perfect games that happened, but the guy lost or the 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 team lost the way the rules work. So there's all sorts of weird quirks and this is going to be a weird season anyway, you know, 60 games. If we're lucky 60 games plus spring training, plus uh, whatever playoffs they settle on. If we're lucky, if COVID lets us do that. So why not throw caution to the wind and see what happens this year? It's all going to be nuts anyway. Yeah. Now's probably the time to do it. And, you know, we see independent leagues across the country as, as well as the minor league scenes, implement this rule uh, already so it's not like it can't be done and yeah i'm thinking about like a sacrifice to third on one pitch then a wild pitch or a pass ball or something and the game could be over this year may be fun in some circles but yeah i mean that's a tough one to sell i think to the traditionalists but how about this as we move forward into 2021 and look ahead how do you determine next year's draft order is there any have you had any thought about that i've thought of it but i don't have any answers um it's not a great answer for a podcast but um i would really hope but this is baseball so silly things happen that there is no tanking in a 60 game season but it might happen um i don't see a better option than just you know the standard way we determine draft order reverse record and and all those things um so that would be the way to do it. I, I wouldn't have any, uh, I wouldn't like to just set it the way it was last year and, you know, have uh, the Tigers, you know, get their first crack at say Jack Leiter or Kumar Rocker or whoever. I'm sure they'd like it, but um, you know, I, I can't see a better way to do it other than just worst record, but tanking in a 60 game season after the hell we just put uh, fans through, um, seems like piling on then again i keep i'm going to keep saying this 
I'm struggling to see how we complete 60 games with COVID, with COVID the way it's going. It's very scary. You see, you know, college sports coming back and instantly dozens of, of players are testing positive. Uh, Novak Djokovic today tested positive. Um, there's some, I'm sure there's other ones out there that have tested positive. Uh, I think there was a, a soccer league t- um team that is pulling out of the tournament because a bunch of their their uh, players tested positive as well so it's it, it will be a minor miracle as i said on twitter that if we complete however many games is going to wind up being a spring training 60 regular season and then the playoffs without some big number of players testing positive at this point yeah i mean that's something that's the underlying factor across all of this and yet for so long we were so we were focused on the financials of this conversation between owners and players and yet the whole point is to ensure you know player safety and how how many players does it take within an organization for them to say okay enough's enough we can't have any more of our guys get, you know testing positive for the coronavirus so you know i'm with you all these factors come into play here and if i uh, may, it's, you know, sure. it's it's testing positive is one thing i understand these guys are young and in the primes of their lives and healthy but it, it really only takes one to me for something serious to happen. You know, if, if there are complications and uh, his, this player's lungs are affected for the rest of his life, and maybe that's a, a, a it doesn't really matter what, what kind of player that is. If it's a famous player or a young player or anything like that, or God forbid, if they die, um, then we're all going to have a lot of soul searching to do over whether this was a good idea. I understand that money makes the world go round and this is a lot of money. There's a reason why we took three months to haggle over money and seem pretty reason, uh, pretty ready to just go uh, dot, you know, cross your T's and dot your I's as far as COVID policy. But you know, the, the ramifications of some player testing positive and then you know, winding up in an ICU are pretty long reaching i'd think well no you're right you're absolutely right and that's one of those things too with major league baseball from the outside looking in do you really trust them to adjust on the fly you know as things continue to trickle down or or, you know within the organization they see these complications and it's unfortunate but they're willing to take that risk understanding that okay if we're going to get this season done we're, we're obviously putting ourselves in a situation where we can create some serious damage uh, to these players. And you know what? That's another part of the, re- the the conversation, the argument for the Players Association. You can scoff at it all you want, but the reality is, you know, this COVID thing isn't going away anytime soon. And you're about to, you know, six months into a pandemic, try and get in a full, you know, 60-game slate in a, in a short amount of time. So, yeah, I mean, believe me, these concerns are loud and clear, and uh, I hear you. Um, so let's let's transition a little bit away from the practical side of the on the field uh, experience and look at the lists that you were able to put out over at baseball America uh, and, and focus within the white Sox system. Of course, sure. a lot of the top 30 players that you have uh, I noticed are, are relatively young and one that jumped out to me. Well, two, I would say, and we could kick it off with these players is Connor Pilkington left-handed pitcher. When I see Pilkington ranked at 17, that gets me excited. But the one that jumped out to me was Bryce Bush at number 13 overall. So I'm curious your thoughts on those two players and why you ranked them there. Well, 
if you know me, you know I love Upside. I love it more than anything. And that is part of the reason why I love Garrett Crochet, despite his warts, um, is because if he reaches his 1% ceiling, he's a monster. And, you know, I've had uh, another another thing that sets Baseball America apart, I think, or at least Baseball America tries to do more than anything, is to listen to evaluators um, rather than relying on our own eyes. Uh, I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen Bryce Bush myself outside of maybe an instructional league at bat or something. Um, but the guys who saw him this year said, you know, the numbers might not be great, but the tools are there. There's, you know, there's, there's also the, the makings of a really interesting player there, a big arm, uh, raw power, all the sorts of good things that you, know, you could see um, or you, you'd like to see in a player. Um, and frankly, there's the, the White Sox system is really top heavy. I think um, it's not the deepest system I do, um, but so, so when, when that kind of happens, I do like to throw a few darts based on upside. And he's one of those, and he got some really good reviews from some scouts I really trust. So I was hoping this year would be the year that he would prove me very smart and uh, show off at either a return to Kannapolis or in Winston-Salem. Uh, but, you know, obviously that didn't come to pass. So uh, Bryce Bush is a guy that, um, and there's a reason we put 50 very high on him. There's a lot of volatility um, with his profile, but if it clicks, he's very interesting. So, you know, kind of in that same vein there, you know, it's very dangerous to um, just like scout the stat line, obviously. Sure. You you still list Anderson Comas and Luis Miesis in the top 30, despite lots of struggles in stateside ball. So I guess, what are your thoughts on those guys and then why they're still ranked, you know, in the twenties of a, of a pretty good system? I mean, it's, it's basically the same for both of them. Um, they have again, upside and I like upside a lot. There's, there's a ways to go for a lot of them, but you know, the guys I trust and I talk to got really good looks at them and, you know, say, don't look at the numbers. These guys are young. I mean, uh, Comas ended last year at 19. Um, same idea with Miasis. He's still, he just turned 20. These guys are pretty young and they still show tools, you know, despite their kind of rough lines that they had this year. They're, they're upside plays really, uh, no more than that. Um, that's kind of how I did the back of this list was just if you have significant upside, I put you in there. Um, I, 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 you know, rank for ceiling more than floor, I guess is another way to put it. And they've got ceiling. So we'll see. Um, I, I still think, you know, a, a, like I said before, the seat, the system isn't particularly deep in my opinion. Um, it drops off uh, pretty early. Uh, after the 10. So we'll see. I, I, like I said, I'll say it one more time. I play upside and I play it a lot. Yeah. And I, th I think those guys were interesting names just in the sense of they were probably slated um, with the way the White Sox have done things lately to start in Kannapolis for their, you know, their first full or their first attempts at a full season. And obviously next year that I guess that's probably where they'll go. And the great falls likely won't be, you know, an affiliate of the White Sox anymore. So that'll be something to follow. Similarly, with some other young guys, Brian Ramos and Benjamin Bailey, who you talked about earlier, recent international signings, they both had great first seasons um, at different levels, one in the DSL and one in the AZL. 
what do you like about those guys? And then you talked about ceilings. So what are what are the ceilings there in your opinion? Well, Benjamin Bailey was a late in, um, addition to the list, and that was um, on the part of uh, Ben Badler. He helped me at least. Um, and if I mean, we all know who Ben Badler is. If you're listening to this podcast and you like Baseball America, you know who Ben Badler is. And when he tells me that a guy is uh, worthy of top 30, you, you listen. And, you know, I, I basically did a lot based on his report. You know, he, he crushed in the, um, in the DSL and Ben liked a lot what he saw and what, uh, in, uh, Dominican instructs and places like that. And people outside the, the, um, the organization like tools as well. So, you know, why not? He seems like a guy who could, who could, could have blown up this year, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, and then Ramos, same idea. I mean, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a super loud year, but he is, you know, just 18 years old and held more than held his own in the AZL, which good for him. You know, it, it's another, it's a guy who's, who's young and got tools and turned those tools into production fairly quickly. I also uh, like the idea of uh, a guy in his first professional season skipping uh, the DSL or uh, or coming straight to the states. That's always a big indicator for me. And this is uh, this is what happened for for uh, for Ramos there. I one of those. That's one of the things I really look for in international guys. It tells me something if they don't stay very long or don't go at all to the DSL. Um, they just jump immediately, but there are other, there are um, exceptions to that rule, but it's a great sign if a guy does that. So I want to take you to the top 10 real quick and specifically numbers five through eight. And, and I'll read them for you because at number five, you have Matthew Thompson and that's the right-handed pitcher uh, in last year's draft. One of the two high school arms that they took early on uh, across the first three rounds. And then you throw in James Beard as well. So across the first four rounds, the White Sox, you know, outside of their first round pick went high school and Dahlquist goes seven. So you had Thompson, Jonathan Stever, who we're high on as well. Andrew Dahlquist at seven and then Dane Dunning eight. Uh, I'd love for you to highlight your opinion on Matthew Thompson for our listeners, as well as try to explain where we're at uh, as Sox fans with Dane Dunning. Uh, I know we were looking forward to him returning. This is going to be a huge year for him to to rehab and potentially work his way to a high level of the minor leagues. Um, so wh- where do we stand with those two players specifically? Uh, we started with Thompson. You know, this is a guy who he has he's he's young and he's risky, but you know he's he's got the frame you want to see from a starting pitcher, which is a big deal. And he's already shown velocity. He didn't get much pro experience, obviously, at the two innings or whatever it was but he has the raw ingredients to be a guy who's a rotation piece and maybe, you know, a mid rotation piece based on the grade I put on him. So that's, you know, a pretty easy, uh, a guy to put in the top 10. And then I think I went in the order that they picked him Thompson and then Dahlquist. Um, and then we talked about Dunning. I mean, it's hard. It was hard to do much of anything with Dunning. Obviously um, you based it on the potential he showed the year prior. And I know I have a lot of history with him with, well, not with him personally, but with people who have evaluated him, who I who I trust and and like, and they raved about him. He comes from a, a good pedigree school in Florida, so you give him the benefit of the doubt. It sounded like he was doing okay after TJ, um, and I was looking forward to seeing him this year too, seeing what that looked like. 
after TJ. Uh, but frankly, he, he also looks like he wouldn't have, uh, yeah, he, he wouldn't have maybe even pitched by now yet, even in a regular season. But he's kind of a wild card in all this. Like he could have been a guy who, if he showed a return to what he was, maybe he zooms through Charlotte and then goes to the big leagues. Um, although that gauntlet is um, interesting, if they, especially if they had still had the souped up baseballs. Um, that's a real tester for a pitcher, I think, as you guys know. So, uh, you know, put him there because of what he'd done in the past. And I really didn't have a whole lot of uh, reason to move him much farther. So Victor Torres and Jefferson Mendoza are two super young catchers um, on the list. One, you know, an 11th rounder out of Puerto Rico a couple years back in Victor Torres. And then Jefferson Mendoza um, is one of these guys who, he was like a 300K signing, um, I think, out of the DR back when they were still kind of uh, in the penalty box for Luis Robert there. But he's been um, decent in the DSL, and he had a really good year last year. Those guys are both on the list there. So I guess, could you compare those two guys maybe? Yeah, Mendoza also was a last second selection by uh, Ben Badler. As a matter of fact, I think I might've written that like the second to last day before that the, the book went to press. So that was really at the buzzer. Um, and Torres, you know, I, I got good reviews on his defensive potential there, which is what you want to hear for a catcher. Obviously the numbers, uh, I don't think were, were great, but, uh, as far as, uh, his defense were concerned, but there were people in the organization who liked his tools defensively. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. And he came up, I believe on the draft report card as well. Um, and then Mendoza, uh, like I said, it, there's, there's stuff to work on, you know, 16% of runners caught stealing. Um, but he sounds like he did, he does really well blocking and receiving has a plus arm despite not, you know, getting to it that often. Um, shows an approach that's kind of mature for his age as far as, you know, knowing which parts of the field he wants to use. Granted, there's a little bit of a, you know, he, re he was repeating the DSL, but he is, you know, only 19 years old, and this year probably would have been his first year in the States. So I do like catchers too. Um, that might be a failing of mine because they so rarely pan out. Um, but, you know, he's he's got an interesting little tool set, and, you know, uh, I think he was the best of a set of options at number 30. Yeah, similar to what you said about Bailey. Ba Bailey and Mendoza, I believe, were both, you know, stateside, obviously, in spring training. They were probably going to stay back, I would imagine, and extended. But, yeah, they were going to they were gonna both be, you know, in Arizona, I think, with that club, like, as opposed to the DSL. So that, you know, that was, I guess, one of the distant storylines that we were following before all this got shut down. One uh, last guy for you, we get asked about often is DJ Gladney, just because he's kind of a local guy. I guess my biggest question about him is he had, he had a lot of power. Um, he hit eight or nine homers, I believe, in the ACL, and he struck out a ton. Do you think that he can stay at third base long term? I'll say that he hasn't proved he can't and still hasn't proved he can't. Uh, I guess let me, let me clarify. He hasn't, you know, he hasn't done anything to give up on him yet. If, if I think that's more clear than what I mean. Um, no, it's it's so early in a career that I don't think um, it's wise to make any pronunciation or uh, pronouncements on whether a guy's going to stick it for third or first. Um, I think one of the things too that I remember their scouting people telling me was they really love this guy's makeup and the ability to work, and maybe he will make it 
happen through hard work and dedication and all things like that, which we'll, we'll see what, what everybody's hard work and dedication looks like once we come back from, from COVID. Cause there's going to be some guys who come back in fantastic shape and ready and some guys who don't. Um, and if he, and if he and guys like him who are facing position questions do, then, you know, I think their chances of sticking at their various positions goes up uh, by a bunch. Yeah, and it's I mean it's obviously with a guy like Gladney, it's just such a projection, right? Because so he's jumped on to top thirty lists at like a lot of places, but I think a lot of that's predicated on him staying at third base because he's going to have power. But if he's definitely a first baseman, you know, I think that that takes like a lot of the shine off, obviously. But he's you know he's only nineteen, so he's yeah. I mean, and all in front of him. he has done a little bit of work at first base. It looks like so. You know, it's going to be in his back pocket regardless, but you give him my, my overarching theory on player development, not that anybody asks, is you give, you give them every chance in the world to fail. I've seen you know, guys who are really, really bad at third base and other positions given infinite chances to fail. And I think that's the right way to do it because you, know, you can work and you can get better at certain positions. And this game is so interesting that it, you don't have to be a certain body type necessarily to do anything i i, I go back to pitching like uh, a guy like chris or uh, michael kopeck can throw 100 but so can a guy like billy wagner you know they're different body types a guy like bartolo cologne can pitch for 20 years in the big leagues uh, and so can a body like randy johnson you know it's this this game is so weird like that where it's not one body type that can do can only play this game. Josh, really good stuff. We're going to wrap it up here in a little bit. A couple more for you. Really appreciate you taking the time. Something that I'd like to run by you and, and something that I've been thinking about, I guess, across this year, really, is how the White Sox have developed as a franchise. Organization-wide, I think, this is probably the most optimistic that I've been within, you know, being a, being a Sox fan following this team from top to bottom. I think Rick Hahn should, should well, I think he deserves a lot of the credit uh, as well as the fact that they're in, implementing a different strategy, I would say, of going about running their organization in terms of acquiring players, accumulating this talent in the minor leagues, a specific sort of that talent that they're looking for. They, they're hiring analytical coordinators now where they're trying to, you know, catch up to the rest of the league. I think all of that, you know, as I ramble on about my point is – based on the way that they draft and now how their organization stands, you know, across the minor league levels, it's, it's different in my opinion. How would you grade the White Sox organizationally right now, maybe compared to the early part of the decade? I mean, this was a year where they looked ready to pop. Um, I'm, I think one of the biggest things that we are missing out right now um, on, as far as baseball is concerned is Luis Robert. I was Super excited to watch that young man do what he can in the big leagues. That guy, you know, has the potential to be the best player on this team. And that's saying a lot. You know, you've got Eloy Jimenez there. You've got a guy, you've got Jose Abreu there. You've got uh, Michael Kopech eventually there. Well, not eventually, there. Um, you got you got guys that are very, Tim Anderson, I should say, obviously, um, on this team. And... Robert has a chance to be another one of these young uh, superstars who have taken the game by storm. And we are missing game after game after game of him. 
Um, I should also say, you know, the analytic point is is one thing, but this organization's pro scouting department has done a fantastic job. I mean, uh, Eloy Jimenez from the Cubs, great get. Uh, Michael Kopech, fantastic get. Lucas Giolito, Yoan Moncada, Reynaldo Lopez. Uh, that that couple days at the winter meetings plus the midseason trade for Eloy uh, a few years ago really reshaped this organization. And I, I don't think it can be said enough how great those guys did in IDing uh, those talents and then their general manager for actually getting them from the uh, the other organization, being creative and willing to risk you know, giving up a Chris Sale and an Adam Eaton um, and a Jose Quintana for them. Those, those two or three trades really reshaped it and now you got more stuff coming in Robert, which is you know, looking like a great signing after his incredible season last year. Uh, whenever I wasn't watching, I think I've documented several times how I saw the worst two or three games of his life. Um, and and you know, guys like Nick Madrigal coming and Andrew Vaughn eventually, uh, and now you've added Garrett Crochet, Garrett Crochet, and Jared Kelly to the mix. It's a really exciting time to be a White Sox fan, I think. Um, and the the talent has come in a number of ways. And they're going to start contending, I think, for AL Central crowns. It, I think, actually, you know, to, to even go further on the point, uh, the AL Central is going to get really interesting. If the Tigers pitching pans out, if the Royals pitching pans out, you're going to have some serious fire, some serious heat in this central division for a long time. You, we'll talk about like guys like uh, uh, Lucas Giolito, uh, eventually a guy like Matt Manning, Casey Mize, Tariq Skubal, uh with the Royals, Asa Lacey, Brady Singer, Daniel Lynch, Chris Bubich, Jackson Kowar. The AL Central is just busting with young potential pitching talents, and it should be really fun. Dylan Cease and uh, Reynaldo Lopez with the White Sox too. And Kopech. Josh, really good stuff today. Appreciate you taking the time. Any final thoughts, as well as anything that you're working on over at Baseball America that we can look forward to here over the next couple weeks? Well, I think we are going to, well, uh, I think, I'm pretty sure tomorrow we have the updated Top 100 coming out um, with draft picks uh, primarily being the, uh, the the main update. There's been some couple injuries that we've moved some guys for. Um, and then I we don't have a firm release date on it yet, but... Um, the midseason top 30s, as we mentioned, and then I'm sure we'll be, you know, JJ Cooper has done. I, I can't, I can't even uh, say how tremendous the work JJ has done on uh, following the minor league uh, contraction saga and what's going and you know Kyle Glazer with what's going on in the big leagues. Uh, Kyle, uh, Kyle, Teddy Cahill and Joe Healy have been killing it on the college side, despite the fact there have been college games since March. And there probably aren't going to be any, you know, college games outside of summer leagues until, you know, February or March, depending on how this goes. Carlos Colazzo is a superstar uh, on draft coverage. I'm sure, I don't know which uh, draft show you guys watch, but if you watch the MLB Network uh, show, you got to see Carlos and his element. I cannot say enough about the team I work with at Baseball America. It's a scary time for the sport, for the country, and for the industry. and we are doing, uh, we are thriving. And it's, it's because of the caliber of guys 
that we work with who are so dedicated every day to their jobs that we just have not let up over, you know, this hundred days or whatever we've been quarantined. Uh, thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it today. Yeah, you had some outstanding names there. J.J. Cooper, Carlos Colazzo, Ben Badler, yeah. you mentioned previously. Uh, Matt, yeah, I I wrote Matt Eddy in there too. I, I mentioned absolutely. Matt Eddy uh, is co-editor-in-chief. Uh, he's done a great job on the fantasy stuff and keeping the issue cycle afloat. I mean, there's. I, I know Baseball America is a wide uh, spanning publication. And if you came to our office, you'd expect some, you know, mega office. We have really 10 people or so on editorial that make this whole machine go. And it's a dream team. And, uh, you know, we thank you again for joining us today. You know, a lot of those guys we've had on the podcast recently. So we know exactly what you're saying there. Carlos, you know, Carlos was great with us as well as JJ. And then just going back to what you said about Ben Badler, I'm somebody who for future socks, I've kind of covered the international market just because it's like something that I've always been interested in and like somebody needed to do it. Ben Badler, you know, everybody that listens to this podcast knows is the absolute best in the business. Like as far as that goes. So, you know, he's, he's, he's the guy when it comes to that sort of stuff. Yeah, he's the ultimate resource for us, so we take full advantage. Uh, we really respect the Baseball America crew, and we thank you so much, Josh, for joining us and, and uh, filling us in with a little White Sox stuff. So don't be a stranger. Talk soon and stay safe. Thank you very much. You too, guys. That's another episode of the Future Sox podcast featuring Josh Norris of Baseball America. You can follow him at jnorris427, the senior editor over at the publication. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. Really appreciate your contributions as well on patreon.com forward slash future socks. Give us a follow and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you listen to these episodes, whether it's on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get them, check us out. Thanks so much one last time for James Fox and Josh Norris. My name's Mike Rankin. We will talk to you all next time.